Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. weeks, this will be the fourth, we've been talking about does God, how does God intervene in our lives. I do not know personally what each of you are walking through in your life right now, but I do know that if not now, later, you're going to hope, cry out to God, pray, scream, or just maybe in your head, ask God to do something about it. And we've been talking about, I've, I have had more fun than I expected to even have with this series, if you've, if you've missed any of it, I hope, if you can, that you'll go to the wonderful world of the internet and you'll, and you'll catch up. If you've missed it, though, and you're like, I don't have the internet, I don't like the internet, I'm running from the government, and I just, let me show you what we've talked about, just so you know. If you study miracles, miracles when God intervenes, when God does something that you can't do. There's different types, as you just study, and miracle of deliverance, miracle of healing, miracle of protection, miracle of provision. We've talked about all of them except for this guy, the miracle of provision. If you've ever been in a place, you know exactly what this is, where you've been, I don't have what I need to have, and I cannot come up with what I need to have. And you, you, you're like, this is beyond a, a job, or, or maybe, maybe you're wanting a job. This is where you cry out to God and you're like, God, I need you to intervene because this doesn't, the numbers, the numbers don't look good. The situation doesn't look good. God, would you provide for me? And if you're familiar at all with the Bible, or maybe you just have heard different things, God promises, God promises to provide for our needs. 
let me, let me show you one of my favorite places. And this same God, who takes care of me, will supply all your needs. That sounds amazing. A God, the almighty God, the one true God, will supply all your needs from, if you want to know, like, so how much does he have? Uh, a lot. From his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. There is place after place after place after place after place after place after place in the Bible and even beyond the Bible where God has proven that he loves to provide. He does in miraculous ways. I remember when Katie and I first got married, we were as poor as you can be. (laughs) When I say that, I was in, there came a moment where I went to go get something to eat. I was going to be the nice guy. I'm like, I'm going to help with dinner. I didn't know how to make anything. I was just going to go look amongst the cupboards in the fridge and be like, I'm going to make something for us. And I remember opening it up, and, and, and there was nothing. If you think I'm exaggerating, it's not that there wasn't, well, my favorite cereal, because that was my plan. I was, I was going to make that for dinner. <clears throat> there was nothing. Like, nothing. And we didn't have, we didn't have the money to, to go just, oh, no, no worries. I'll just run down and get groceries. Many of us have been there, where it's like, you look what you got, and you're like, um, I, I don't like what I got, but I can't remedy this. I remember wondering, what in the world are we going to do? What in the world? So here's what happened. I don't know if you're going to believe this or not. Some of you, I know pastors have a tendency sometimes to embellish a little bit just to make the story better. No, actually, here's what happened, and it happened very quickly. A guy knocked on the door. Now, I typically know what happens when someone's knocking on the door. They have something they want to sell you. And I'm like, you are, you are knocking on the wrong door. So I open up the door because I'm just curious because I was going to kind of vent my anger a little bit. Be like, oh, you want to sell me something? Let me, let me do that. Anyways, open up the door. The guy's all dirty and sweaty. I'm like, can I help you? And he says, Hey, I'm moving. I'm like, you're going to ask me. I don't even know you're going to ask me to make, help you move. I don't want to help you move. Right? You've seen how, how I had some issues. Well, I let him talk. He said, hey, I'm moving. I live just down the road a little bit. And, and my fridge and freezer are full. And I, I'm, I'm gonna, this, all this food's going to go to waste. It's, it's, and would you like it? I'm like, I don't care what you have. The answer is yes. <laughs> I, I, and, and it's like, I don't know you. I don't know if I'm about to get poisoned. I don't care. We don't have anything. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, there's no way, right? There's no. The dude came back with his car full of stuff. He, he, I remember he even had a, an open carton of soy milk. I didn't care. We're drinking that milk, <laughs> Right? I'll never, I'll never forget that moment. I can, right now I can picture him. I never saw him again. I have, no, I have no idea if that dude was an angel, but I do know we had nothing, and a dude knocks on the door and says, hey, let me load up everything you got. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, okay, this is bigger than a coincidence. Got multiple stories like that in my life. Or yeah, you better believe in my, in my alone time. I was kidding. We were praying, God would... We don't, we don't have enough. 
and he would just provide. There's multiple stories, not just mine. They're, they're, maybe you've got your own, but there's some in the Bible that I, I want to show it to you just so you can begin to at least wrestle with the fact that God still does miracles, and, he, and some of those miracles are miracles of provision. There's a story uh, of a guy named Abraham. God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now that, for us, is a bit creepy. I think we have to admit that that's, like, that's a pretty intense, uh, we've never been asked that, and it's a big deal. Well, Abraham said, okay, I, I think he said it reluctantly, but he said it willingly that he was going to sacrifice his son. If you're like, well, I bet he had a lot. No, he didn't. In fact, Abraham had to wait for this particular son, had to wait 100 years. Let me show you what the Bible tells us. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac. It's amazing when you read the Bible and you just see like a few words, five, six words. You're like, okay, yeah, I know the story. I'm familiar. Can you imagine? I don't, I can't. Can you imagine doing this? After a hundred years, that son tying him up, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. I don't know if you can imagine. I mean, when you're picking the knife up, you've already tied him. You're going to go through with this. You, I, you, you don't want to, but, but, but God asks you to do it. You're devoted to God, and you're going to do it. Well, well the, the story, he gets interrupted by an angel. It was a very timely interruption. And, and, but, but that's not just it. See, many of us, we, we see the story like, oh, oh God, God interrupted him. No, God did a miracle of provision. I'll show it to you. Because not only did he interrupt him, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram. Oh, it must have just been a coincidence. I don't think so. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. God provided. There's a story of a widow. A widow is having major issues. She doesn't have income from a husband. And, and things got bad. The Bible, Bible spells it. I'll just read it to you. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha, who's a prophet, and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. If you're like me, you probably wouldn't tell a whole lot of people this. I'm just going to tell a lot of people this. I've had a creditor called me before. You don't answer those phone calls. And they stir something up in you. This widow, who's already obviously had major loss, now has creditors. And it's not, hey, we need you to pay a thousand bucks. It's, hey, uh, we're going to take your sons. I mean, how desperate would you be in that situation? And she's like, I got, I got nothing. And she, she goes crying out to Elisha, I got no answers. I got no way to provide for myself. I don't know what to do. Elisha says, hey, uh, I, I, what, what do you have? She's like, I got nothing. I've got a flask of oil. If you were like, well, how much is that? Not very much. He's like, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like you to take that flask and I'd like you to pour it into a jar. At first you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. She listens. Her sons kept bringing jars to her. You notice I sped through the story. It appears as though she starts pouring this flask of oil, and it doesn't stop. The math doesn't make sense. 
It's like, I know there's not this much oil in it, but there appears something's going on. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim, but she started with a flask of oil. The miracle of provision. Let me tell you one more relating to Jesus specifically. He'd been preaching, and it appears as though he had preached a while. We don't complain about how long Jesus preaches. But some bellies were starting to grumble. Here's the story. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. They were hungry. Turned to Philip, he asked, hey, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? If you're like, like how, I mean, 10 people? No. Theologians estimate there were about 15,000 people. I'll get to that in a minute. So Jesus is like, hey, how do we, uh, what's our plans to feed these 15,000 plus people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. <laughs> I hate that. Philip, I mean, just so you know, if, if you're like, that's, that stinks for Philip. You know he does it with you and I all the time. Put your own name there. Philip replied, uh, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. It appears as though Andrew's the jerk of the crowd. He's like, there's a boy, we can take his lunch. <laughs> right? That's what he just said. But what good is that? Because he's, he's realistic. We can steal that kid's lunch, but then you guys aren't even just I'm eating. But what good is it with this huge crowd? And then Jesus does the miracle provision, one that we're very familiar with, but I still want to read it to you. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, if you're like, oh, I bet they didn't want very much. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. And there's the numbers. About 5,000 men were there that day in addition to all the women and children. I mean, there's story after story. You can refute it if you want. You can't refute mine. God has done the miracle provision over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, I would argue this. He's done it in your life. He has done a miracle. If you're wearing clothes, which I hope you are, if you know where your next meal is, if you rode in a motorized vehicle today, you should understand that all the time God is doing miracles of provision in our lives. And some of us are like, well, the clothes thing doesn't really get me, David. The food thing, I'm just kind of used to it, right? Well, here's what I would say because we have to go after this. If you missed it in the series, we talked about protection and how when we talk about protection, kind of our perspective of that might be off a little bit, might be different than God's. Huh. Well, I would say the same about this. Our, our version of provision is skewed. So you and I, we begin to pray because, I mean, almost every human cries out to someone, I need help, I, I need something, and we, we need provision. But I, I want to talk about that perhaps as you and I cry out to God, God, I need 
Two boats, not one. And I need you to do something. I'm just telling you, sometimes we get a little skewed and, and, and we don't look at what God has already done. Do you know why? I, and this is, again, I'm going to offer you my opinion. Do you know why you and I take for granted the clothes that we have and the food that we get and the homes that we live in? I think it's because we compare. I know some of you are like, no, I don't care what my next door neighbor has. Oh, no, 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 no. Some of us are comparing what we currently have with what we used to have. We're comparing what we have with what we want to have. You might not be comparing to your neighbor because you're like, I don't want my neighbor's life. But I think many of us do compare to other people. We say, here's what I have and look what they've got and I want what they've got. Or, or here's what I've got and I just saw this commercial and now I've got to go get that. Many of us compare. We're, we're spending our lives comparing. And when you compare you begin to fall in love with, you might not use those words, but you begin to get infatuated with things, specifically money. You and I begin to actually have these cravings that we didn't used to have. That's what comparison does. Creates these new cravings. And some of you who have been around the Bible or or God for long enough, you know there's actually warnings about this. I thought I would just put it in front of us all. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We just stop for a moment. Some of us have been misquoting this. We're like, money, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. That's, that's not what the Bible says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Sorrows. I don't know how much of this you're willing to open your heart up to. But perhaps you'd be willing to open your heart up to not living a life full of these kinds of sorrows. I think most of us don't want that. Living in this sorrow. But many of us do. And the more and more we compare, the more less we wrestle with God and what he's doing and what he's not doing. So I want to talk about God's provision, but I'm hoping we have a mature, like, oh, go at this in a mature way. Go at this in a way, like, it's not just about saying, well, maybe what one of my children is praying for, God, would you provide me with the newest iPhone, which are fun conversations. The newest iPhone's not bad. But many of us, when God doesn't give us what we want, can we admit this? When God doesn't give us what we want, we wrestle with if he's providing for us or not. So what's the big deal? I don't know if you've ever wondered, what's the big deal about loving money? What's the big deal about wanting more and, and even craving it? Well, when you begin to crave something, you stop craving something else. Do you understand that? And the more that you crave specifically money and possessions, the less you're going to crave God. And God wants a relationship with you. In fact, even in, this, in the subject we're talking about, God's provision is rooted in relationship. And many of us are treating him like it's not a relationship. We're treating him like, well, well, how I grew up calling it. Sugar daddy. Anyone? No? I mean, that's how I grew up. I mean, that's, that's what it was. If there was an individual in your life that you're like, I don't, 
I don't really care about you. I just need you to provide for me. Sugar daddy. No? Okay, just where I grew up. It was a common phrase. It was a sugar daddy, sugar mama, whatever you want to call it. It's, just, it's where you, you leaned on someone to give you what you wanted, but, but you had no interest in, in like making that a, a legitimate, strong, awesome relationship. And some of us, you, you may feel like it's irreverent, but some of us are treating God like he's a sugar daddy. That the reason he exists, at least in your life, is to <clears throat> give you what you want. And if you have been caught, like I have it multiple times in my life, where I think I am craving and in love with money, where your wants are dominating your thoughts, if you've ever been there, I think we should talk about it. In fact, I would walk you into a couple, just uh, call them warnings. Here's the first one. When our wants take over, we mismanage what he's provided. Uh, I'm not, I, we got no time for all my stories on this. I've got lots of them. But many of us, we're crying out, for, would you provide uh, this or that? Or, and, and you've got like, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I hope this happens. This is going to be awesome. But the reason that we're even wanting and craving is because we manage what he's already given us. And, and we're not taking care of it. Here, let me, just self-inventory, don't answer this out loud. <clears throat> I'm going to say this nicely. If you do not Run your personal finances through a budget. Do we know we know but budget? You are likely mismanaging what God's provided for you. I'm not hating on you. I, there's uh, many of us have had these seasons where we don't use a budget or we have one. We just don't know where it is, kind of a thing. Like I know I'm. One day I sat down and put some numbers together. I'm telling you, if you don't run your finances through a budget. You're in jeopardy of mismanaging a miracle, and none of us want to be there. I'm not trying to give you some self-help. Let, let me show you what the Bible teaches on this in Proverbs. The Lord will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. There's that word craving again. Huh. Lazy people are soon poor. Some of you are going to teach your teenagers this lazy people are soon poor hard workers get rich if you're confused by this already you're like rich you're already don't don't again if you have clothing and food and you know where that's coming from you are well well more blessed than a lot of people on this planet earth a wise youth harvests in the summer but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace some of us are mismanaging simply our finances. I'm not going to spend the rest of our time here. I don't think this is the biggest deal. We're in South Dakota. We're financially frugal people. Come on. I just wanted to point out that perhaps the absence of a miracle in your life is not an absence of a miracle, but it's a bit more mismanagement. But I want to go after, the, I think, the one that is a bit more toxic and dangerous and destructive. Hopefully you remember I told you that story. I read some of it to you about Abraham and his son Isaac. I read you the, the portion where Isaac tied his son up, put him on an altar, picked up a knife, and the angel stopped him. The angel said something that is incredibly important for you and I to understand. Let me show it to you. Don't lay a hand on the boy. He's like, oh, 
Thank you. I don't know if he really did that. I would have done that. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. For the rest of this message, I imagine we're about to split. <laughs> Some of us are going to be like, yeah, you should, David, just like what you said. Mm-hmm. We should manage our finances. But I'm about to say some things that are straight from the exact same Bible, the same God. I hope you're open to it. When our wants take over, we withhold what he has provided. It's not a, it's not a management issue for many of us. Most of us understand that. One plus one equals two, so you've got to make sure you organize it. Tell your money what to do, in other words. But see, a lot of us are withholding from God. We are actually not even giving God anything. Now, some of us are confused. Like, how, how do I give a God that I cannot see anything, and it's God? I've already read to you that he's uh, super rich. I mean, that's just a summary. So what in the world, how, does this, how do we withhold from God? In fact, I would take it even further. Many of us are withholding from God. We don't give God any money whatsoever, any resources whatsoever. Simply, we just say, I don't have enough. You ever said that? I have. <laughs> a lot. Where you say, like, I don't have enough to give to God. I, I mean, super rich. Who do you, who, what do you give a super, the wealthiest person ever? What, how do you give gifts and if you've ever been there you're not alone if, you, if, if management is not your issue but withholding from God if you would say you know what in the past year I've not really given God any money whatsoever and the reason is David I don't have enough welcome welcome to the crowd <laughs> in fact if you missed some of the details of what I shared I thought I'd give you a list just to remind some of us Abraham he didn't have enough the story behind Abraham, if you're not familiar, he got promised by God that he would have a son, he and Sarah would. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and the Bible says that that son was born when Abraham was 100. 100. And then God says, hey, that son you waited for, I want you to sacrifice him. You better believe Abraham's thinking, um, I don't have enough sons to do this. The widow, hey, pour your flask of oil into this jar, multiple jars. You know what she was probably thinking? I don't have enough. You even heard the words from her. She went to Elisha going, I don't have enough to pay the creditors. How about the disciples? We're like, hey, Jesus, uh, you see all these people? We don't have enough money to buy them food, and we don't have enough food to give them. The boy... Why don't we ever talk about the boy who's like, that's my lunch. In theory, and I don't know the details, in theory, a parent of some sort or a guardian made him the lunch. In theory, the lunch was designed to cover his physical needs the rest of the day, right? So if he gives that up, he doesn't have enough. I understand the tension of not having enough. But can we just apply this to any other relationship? Let's just use me as an example. Katie and I, Katie's my wife. What if I was like, hey, Katie, I am pretty busy as of late. 
And uh, when I come home, I don't have really a whole lot of energy or time to give to you. I need some Netflix, and I need some sleep and some alone time. What if I, and, and I might be like, well, David, yeah, you are working hard, and, and, and how long, how, how long does my marriage stay healthy if each day, over and over, I'm like, I, look, at, look at my calendar. I don't have enough to give you. How, just think about how long my, you'd be like, oh, oh no, don't do that, David. Because many of you, you may not like me, but you like Katie. You're like, we want this to work right. We want this to be good. If you stop, if you stop giving in any relationship, that relationship begins to dry out and be unhealthy. We all would admit that. Let me give you some relationship, marriage advice, whatever. Here, healthy relationships require participation. You get that. I get that. This is like, duh. Have you walked it yet to your relationship with God? Healthy relationships require participation. Hopefully you've already made the connection. You're like, okay, so a God that, that, that I can't see, and if I did, I think I might die because of how that works. He's so glorious. And How does one participate in a relationship with God? How does one give? To the almighty God. Well, there's many ways, actually. Some people say, well, time. You're right, time, exactly. In fact, every weekend and every week, we have multiple people, tons, hundreds of people gathering to serve kids and teenagers and adults and, and to go out and serve meals. It's, 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 it's incredible to give time. But just think about, it. Is, that, is that all that's necessary for me to give my wife? Just time. Like, hey, sweetie, I love you. I'm here. That's all you need. <laughs> you, you, you get this in any regular relationship, right? You're like, I understand the breakdown here. Because all of us understand in every good, healthy relationship, there has to be some element of you taking something that's valuable to you, that's important to you, and saying, I sacrifice that. In fact, I give it to you. The same applies to God, not because he needs it. Come on. I love giving people gifts that they don't need at all. They're just fun and good. But they communicate, I'm sacrificing on your behalf because I want a healthy relationship. So how does one sacrificially give to God? How does it happen? Well, I can tell you, it's a principle. Taught from the beginning of the Bible, it's not law. It's a principle called the principle of the first. And you can study Adam and Eve and their kids. And you'll immediately get some some details about this, and you can walk it in even to Abraham's life and continue and continue. Eventually, they do make it law because this will shock you. There were some people saying, I don't want to do this. And so God's like, well, then I, I, I will make it law. But then Jesus came and fulfilled the law, and it got back to a bit more pure of, of a principle. If you don't know what the principle of the first is, I'll give you a quick synopsis. It's very simple. It's where you take your income, whatever your income is, wherever you get it. Hopefully it's legal, but uh, wherever you get your income, 
and you take the first, the first, the, the principle of the first, you take the first 10% of it, and you, and you give it to God. Not because he needs it, because frankly, he does not. You give it to him as a sacrifice. That's why it's the first part, because you're like, if I wait to the end, I'm, the, I'm just going to be leftovers. I don't know if you ever try to do that. Like, I'm going to give God what I've got leftover. Try that in your marriage. Actually, don't try that in your marriage. Don't do that ever in your marriage. Don't offer leftovers. So don't do it with God either, but it's, that's why it's first. What you do first is, is critical, right? When you come home from work, what you do first is a big deal. What you do first in the morning, all of, what, you, what you and I do first communicates where our heart is. Principle of the first is this. That you take the first 10%, just the first 10%, and you give it to God. I've been doing this since I was a kid. My parents taught it to me. I did not like it. It made me very frustrated. Remember that story about the guy randomly showing up with groceries? I didn't tell you the whole story. You see, I didn't have a job at the time. I'm not proud of it. Uh, I was applying everywhere. I thought I almost got hired at Sonic, and I was like, all I want to do is drink these drinks. Will you hire me? They wouldn't hire me. This was in Kansas. Couldn't get a job. Spent months and months. I, I have no idea how many resumes I distributed. It was a ton. Our savings account was going way down every single month. That's how that works. We were newly married. I was looking for a job. Katie was still in college. That hopefully gives you an income picture of what we were having. Had a mortgage. The mortgage was $900 a month. When I originally bought the house, I had roommates that helped pay the mortgage. I got married and lost that income. I was like, oh, that didn't play out the way I thought it would. So now I have a mortgage. I have no job. My wife's in school. I'm, I'm sure my father-in-law is impressed. My grandma called and she said, uh, hey, I, I want to help you out this month. I'm like, no, grandma, no. She's like, what's your mortgage? I'm going to tell you. She's like, well, the way my grandma is, she's like, I'm not getting off the phone. I'll keep calling you back over and over and over again. And you can't block your grandma. And so she's like, you... Just tell me what your, what your mortgage is. And I said, my mortgage is $900. Don't you dare send a check. Because I knew her. She sent a check. The check arrived, 900 bucks. Pays the mortgage, right? Well, the problem is the principal of the first. Some of you are like, but, no, 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 you didn't earn that. I know I didn't earn it. But our value system has been what God teaches is awesome. So the problem is the $900 is now 810. If you're not good at math, don't worry about it. Just, just trust me. We wrote a $90 check to our church. We put it to the side, set it on the counter. We have $810. Guess what that doesn't do is pay the mortgage. Don't worry. I called the mortgage company. I said, hey, can I not pay the mortgage this month? And they're like, sure. We'll repo your house, but sure. It's like, hmm, that didn't go the way I thought it would. So the only way to fix it was to take our grocery money that we were about to go get groceries and spend it on our mortgage. So we, we paid the mortgage company with empty cupboards. And the next day a guy shows up and says, hey, can I give you all my groceries? That's the full story. Many of us are desperate 
for a miracle of provision. If you don't make very much money, I completely sympathize with you. I've been there. If you feel like you don't have enough to give God anything, I totally get it. And a lot of people get it. But here's my final observation about the miracle provision. God's provision must be accompanied by our commitment to trust. If you are asking God to intervene in your life and to provide this, whatever this is, and you're not willing to trust him, you're treating him like he's a vending machine, like he's an ATM, and he's not. Yeah, sometimes God just intervenes. Sometimes even without praying, without, without giving to him, he just steps in and he's like, here you go. And you're like, you're amazing. I didn't even have to do anything for this. Oh my goodness. Sometimes he does that. But do you understand if he always did that, how unhealthy our relationship with him would get? This is perhaps the most unpopular sermon that I preach multiple times through the year. You'll notice due to its lack of popularity, that's not affected how often I preach it. Because it is also the single miracle that I have seen more than any other miracle. I hope you will trust God with the first fruits in your life. If you don't trust this church, go find a church that you trust and apply it there. But I'm telling you, when God provides and you trusted him before he provided, it's one of the best miracles you ever experience in your life. Let me pray for you. God, please would you open up our hearts to this truth. Would you open us up to get beyond our, beyond our cravings and, and, and our love for, for money and things. God, would you open up our hearts, soften them, and help us to receive what is true, what is good, what is right. God, I pray for those right now who are lacking, who would say, I don't have enough. Whatever that level is, God, I pray that you would do a miracle for them. In the name of Jesus, God, would you just provide food for people who don't have food, shelter for people who don't have shelter, clothing, and, and all the other needs that you are well aware of, God. Would you meet those needs? Would you engage them? Would you, would you intervene? God, would you help us to trust? God, I'm sorry personally for any moment I've ever withheld anything from you. And we commit to you, God, to be a church that doesn't withhold from you. Please use us, Lord. Please use us as a part of your miracle plan in the lives of the people in this world. We love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen.